This is James Cooper with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. Tax strategies for farmers are complex. Farmers are small businesses with high levels of assets and inputs, and then huge differences in income from year to year. This gives them some taxing leverages, but only for those who know how to take advantage of them. Today's radio is an excerpt from Ag Today, with KFMA's Chelsea Plummer and Tracy Minstner speaking on some of these tax strategies. Well, I think it's kind of well known that many businesses don't have a lot of flexibility with their income, but producers in agriculture do have that benefit. We have the advantage we can move income and expenses from year to year and attempt to even out our adjusted gross income rather than potentially having large income swings because of market volatility or change in yields or just um, a lot of the challenges that we face in the agriculture industry overall. Across the state, we've seen quite a few losses and not just yield losses, revenue losses. So we are expecting to see a decent amount of crop insurance claims and proceeds for 23. There is the election to defer crop insurance proceeds. A farmer, a rancher to be eligible for this, it needs to be their normal practice that they defer at least 50% of their crop income each year As long as they normally do that, they're eligible to defer the taxation of those crop insurance proceeds. There's a couple other things. You can't defer revenue losses, so it needs to be losses due to yield and damage on your crop. Um, If there's any proceeds that come due to price loss or like a revenue guarantee, those cannot be deferred. And then if they elect to defer, they have to defer the insurance proceeds on all crops. So if they're collecting some proceeds here towards the end of the year for corn or beans and they elect to defer the yield portion of that, and they also collected some on wheat back in July, they would need to defer all of those crop insurance proceeds to the following year, not just on a crop-by-crop basis. There will be an online three-part series called Tax Strategies for Midwestern Farmers and Ranchers held on November 28th, December 5th, and December 12th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. The online program will cover all sorts of tax strategies and accounting planning for both ranchers and farmers, for big farms and little ones. This topic applies to any producer, me included. There are some things in my dad and I's small cow-calf operation that we do as far as tax planning, but there's a lot more that we could be taking advantage of, including deductions, deferring, and income averaging. And I know we aren't alone when it comes to the ideas of taking advantages of tax planning. You can find the online program under the Advanced tab on the K-State Economics website, agmanager.info. If you need help finding it, give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Have a few acres and looking for a way to mow the grass without a lawnmower? Is raising a few head of livestock something you're interested in? There are lots of options for small-scale or backyard livestock production. Matching the animal to the resources you have is step one. Previous experience or knowledge could be the highest priority resource. Or maybe viewing your available acreage and forage, along with the fencing, could help determine your options. The smaller the animal, the more individuals you can stock. It all depends on the available forage and the nutrient requirement of each animal. In Kansas, livestock owners are required to fence in their livestock. Of course, each species has slightly different fencing needs. 
Consider the old adage, fences need to be horse high, pig tight, and bull strong. Along with selecting the livestock species to the resources available, study the animal cycle of nutrient needs. Breeding females will require more and more nutrients through a pregnancy. So, timing the gestation phase of lowest nutrition requirement to the season of the year with lowest quality forage is a sound management strategy. Another factor is labor. Labor required is largely determined by resources. An automatic watering system will reduce labor required to fill tubs on a daily basis. Working off the farm takes hours each day away from the new project, so if you travel or have an unpredictable schedule, select the livestock that best match the time you have available. Along with determining the species to start with, make some feeding plans. If you have a few acres, know the nutritional quality of the forage and its growing season. Make plans for providing nutrients for the entire time you'll have the livestock, even outside the growing season. This may include bringing in preserved forage in the form of hay bales or stockpiling a part of the pasture during the growing season for later use. If you're going to bring in hay from another location, storage and how the hay will be delivered to the animal is a consideration. Regardless of the financial goal of the new endeavor, a financial management plan is a great idea. Tracking the expenses and opportunities is critical for realizing a profit or a loss. Even if the goal is not to save or make money, the knowledge of a narrow profit margin could impact future efforts. Financial tracking can show areas for increased efficiency. Not to mention, this data will lead to more informed conversations with other small-scale producers and knowledge resources. Knowledge is possibly the most important resource to have. This could be personal experience, a relationship with a successful producer, or working with industry professionals. I highly encourage all livestock owners to participate in learning opportunities. Reliable individuals to work with are veterinarians, nutritionists, or extension professionals. To learn more about small-scale livestock production, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is a David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. Normal body temperature of rabbits is 102 to 103 degrees Fahrenheit. An outside temperature of 60 to 65 degrees is the temperature where rabbits can use their feed most efficiently and gain weight the easiest. However, rabbits can handle temperatures of 20 to 60 degrees if they are protected from direct contact of wind, rain, and snow. If the change in weather isn't too severe, rabbits can usually adapt fairly well. But if the weather changes quickly or the stress caused by the weather change is too great, rabbits may not be able to adjust. Healthy rabbits can endure short-term stress fairly well, but long-term stress will eventually affect the rabbit. The stress of the cold months during the winter can be very hard on rabbits, both domestic and wild. 
If the rabbit's hutch is not winterized, it can cause rabbits to not breed, gain weight, and affect their physical appearance, which will affect how well the rabbits compete in shows. Winter-related stresses for rabbits can include low temperatures, poor ventilation, drafts, and poor nutrition, including lack of drinking water. To protect rabbits from wind, you can face the hutches to the southeast to protect them from the northwest winds. Setting the rabbit's hutch next to a building or solid fence or covering the hutch with a lightweight blanket or tarp will also provide protection from the wind. It is important to remember that ventilation is just as important in the winter as it is in the summer. Unfortunately, the measures you take to keep your rabbits warm and dry may also restrict airflow in the hutches, which can make the hutch damp and let foul odors and ammonia fumes build up. Airflow in hutches can vary with the weather, so it is important to watch weather conditions and adjust the airflow as needed. Make sure that there is a little air movement through the hutch without drafts, pockets of stale air, or sudden temperature changes. In the winter, rabbits will eat more to make up for the extra energy they use to stay warm. Because of this, it is important to provide rabbits with plenty of food and fresh water. It is also important to make sure they have consistent access to water as it will freeze quickly if the temperature is at or below freezing. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. As temperatures begin to drop, you might see some insect invaders enter your home looking for warmer temperatures to survive. Most insects this time of year will be nuisance pests and not destructive, but that doesn't mean they are welcome. One type of bug that you will probably see is the box elder bug. These bugs are more common after hot and dry years like this year. As their name suggests, their preferred plant host is the box elder tree, but they will target many different hosts if box elders are unavailable. These bugs find their way into your house trying to escape the cold. They will get inside through any open crack, but once inside, they are not destructive. Box elder bugs seek protected sites for overwintering, so habitat modification around the outside of your house will dissuade them from coming closer toward your house. However, on sunny winter days, they might congregate on the side of your house for warmth. If they make their way in, vacuuming them is one control method. Drain flies are another active pest right now and their control is trickier. Females lay eggs on trapped organic matter within sink pipes, usually the kitchen sink. Once they morph into adults, they fly out of the drain and into the kitchen or bathroom. Long-term control requires breaking up the trapped organic matter, but control of adults can be accomplished by mixing a little dish soap with apple cider vinegar and placing the bowl near the sink to attract the flies to the bowl. They will then become trapped in the liquid and die. 
One bug that has probably already been in your house for months is the common cricket Gryllus pennsylvanicus. This ubiquitous black insect shows up wherever the humidity and temperature are high and can live for months inside houses assuming they have a steady food source. The chirping crickets make can irritate people, but crickets do not destroy any objects within the house. As with most other household pests, the main way to reduce their populations is to remove the food source. Unfortunately, that can prove tricky. Crickets are omnivores, meaning that they will eat both plants and animals, typically other smaller insects, but can sometimes even cannibalize other crickets. Keeping a clean house will remove most of their food source, making them look elsewhere for places to hole up during the cold, but it's not always guaranteed. One final exclusion method is habitat modification around the exterior of the house, pulling back plant debris from the doors and foundation. Crickets often look for cover to travel through, and by removing this debris, it makes crickets less likely to move toward and into your house. Camel crickets, sometimes also called cave crickets, despite having the word cricket in their name, are more closely related to katydids and grasshoppers than to actual crickets. However, their food source and control methods remain the same as field crickets, and they are also not destructive. Cleanliness and a little tolerance will keep crickets from becoming a recurring problem. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.